0: Welcome to the Connect Church podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Good morning again. If you would take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 3. I'm trying to debate here at the last minute of... Anytime a preacher doesn't know exactly where he's going to start, that might mean he doesn't exactly know where he's going to finish. And that's scary for all of us. Genesis chapter 3 seems like a good place to begin. We're going to begin reading in verse 15. So once you find it, you might want to put your Bible off to the side because we're going to stand in just a moment. For those of you who have not been here the last couple of weeks, you may, may seem just a little awkward. Uh, as a church... Uh, we believe that doctrine and theology is very, very important. Uh, in fact, it's it's why we exist. It's where we gain our purpose and our mandates. It's the thing that unifies us together and gives us a, a joint calling together. So it's incredibly important what we believe. And uh, and in our in our modern liberal movement, liberal Christianity uh, begins to downplay and. Uh, uh, Theology and doctrine. really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you know, what matters is what you do. But what happens is what you do slowly changes from generation to generation if it's not tied back to an absolute. And so absolutes are not popular today, uh, but they are popular in the kingdom of God who does not change. And so we do not teach creeds. We teach Christ only. But a, uh, the Apostles' Creed is a very uh, formative um, creed that puts together, encapsulates absolute fundamental truths of what we believe from Scripture. Most of which, a lot of it's been destroyed, but most of this can be documented being used by the church as early as the 2nd century. So how long has exactly been in existence, we're just not too sure, but we know that much of this has been used at least that long for the people of God to band together, knowing that brothers and sisters in the next city, in the next uh, community or province, and brothers and sisters around the world have this unifying declaration that we make together. And while we make this declaration together, we're doing two things simultaneously We are pledging our allegiance to God's kingdom and to His truth while we're also rejecting this culture, this nation, this kingdom uh, and all that it promises or hopes to offer us. Uh, And so let's, uh, let's stand together and we're going to declare and confess our beliefs together. And you just repeat with me. You may be seated. In Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, I won't set up the context uh, entirely, but this is just after the fall of man. This is when God gave Adam, who was perfectly created in all of creation, it is only mankind that was declared very good. God made him innocent and God made him perfect and God made him without sin. But God did make him with an ability to sin. We call this free will. So Adam had the capacity for evil. It's the only way that we can know what is good is if we have something to compare it to. And so God made everything good... And then he made the tree of knowledge of good and evil and he put it in the garden and he told Adam, Do not eat from this tree. And you need to make sure that you tell Eve everything that I'm going to tell you. And Adam said... Who is Eve? And Adam fell asleep. No, I'm just kidding. It didn't happen exactly like that. But God declared all these things to Adam, and then He created Eve out of Adam, and it was Adam's responsibility to be the spiritual leader to his family. But Adam failed just shortly after Eve's creation, I believe. Eve is in the garden and she is looking at the tree of knowledge of good and evil that God told Adam, do not eat of this tree. The serpent came to her and deceived her and beguiled her and tricked her. And she, and it says, with her husband, she took the, the fruit and she ate it. And then she offered it to Adam. And Adam, I do not know for what reason. It does not even matter. But at Eve, we know, was tricked. Adam rebelled. And there is a significant difference between making a decision with your mind and logic and reason. There's a whole nother level of sin when you sin in your heart. Eve, maybe, maybe not, had been told differently. Adam knew better. And Adam intentionally rebelled against the will of God. And from that moment, sin, nature, existed within the heart of mankind. And now, man was able... There wasn't something magical about the tree. There wasn't some divine potion that came from the fruit. It was the act of disobedience that opened Adam's eyes so that now, because he had been exposed to disobedience, he was able to see the difference between good and evil. But long before that, long before that, before God ever spoke, let there be light, God had already planned to send a Redeemer to mankind before the foundation of the earth was formed, laid, or even thought. God had already declared that Jesus Christ was going to come and save sinful men. All right, all of that. You get to the end of that story, and now every man that is born of Adam is born with a sin nature. Regardless of their action, we are born sinners. So for those who might think that babies are innocent until they sin, or we teach children to sin as we model life before them, they are rejecting the sin nature that comes from Adam. So before you ever committed sin, you are already a sinner because of Adam's nature in us. It's very important doctrine, the nature of sin and how it emits from generation to generation to generation. Now as fallen humanity, the sin nature is independent of sin itself. Now, we don't have to worry about that too much because it doesn't take us very long to sin. Even as children, we are very deceptive. You never have to teach a child to lie or to deceive. So, when God comes to the garden, this is the Godhead, comes to the garden, whom does He hold responsible? Adam. 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 Well, I hid myself. I didn't want you to see me like this. Who told you you were naked? Well, now I can see it, good and evil. Now I recognize some things that I didn't recognize before. And so God begins to mete out the curse, the consequences of the sin that Adam committed. And He begins with the serpent. And He tells the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, this will be the first place that we start Today He said, I will put enmity, that is, a, a, a difference of purpose, a contention. More specifically, I guess the best English word would be hatred. Competition is a good word. This fighting, striving, wrestling match. I will put enmity between you and the woman. It was the serpent's encounter with Eve that beget the sin. So the contention will continue to be between the serpent and the woman. Between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So what the Lord is saying here is that God is going to bring one from the woman's seed that will crush the serpent's head. The son of God and the son of a woman will destroy the works of Satan. It is easy for us to see it from this side, of that prophecy, it was difficult for them to see it on the other side of Jesus. We have the story. We have the truth. We have the legacy. We have all of those things working for us. For them, they were sitting there trying to figure out, well, we know at the end we win. How that will happen, we do not know. So we're going to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. We're also going to look at Luke chapter 1, verse 35. Again, for sake of time, we're not going to look completely at context. You know it so well. I've thought about titling this sermon Christmas in April. When do you hear the virgin birth spoken of, except in December, Christmas time, except maybe in our church? Okay, Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now Luke chapter 1 verse 35. And the angel answered her, "The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God." Now, the first verse that we read in Matthew chapter one speaks of the angel's message to Joseph to reassure him about Mary's pregnancy. The second. Verse in Luke chapter 1, is what the angel Gabriel said to Mary when he announced that she would give birth to Jesus. Taken together, they give us a pretty good uh, passage of Scripture, an introduction to the part of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in Jesus Christ, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And so here we come face to face with the virgin birth of Christ, a doctrine that unfortunately... We only think about once a year. Oftentimes, because of that, it gets put into a whole other section of things we believe. It's discounted. Maybe we move by it so quickly, we don't take into consideration the power that the virgin birth provides. Just some sort of extra mythology to make Jesus just kind of this shrouded in dark mysteries or secrets. Some kind of extra mythology attached to Him. You hear of many virgin birth stories and there's lots of false gods who have these false beginnings leaping from the heads of other gods and forming out of rocks. The oldest... Virgin birth that is in recorded history was 2,000 years before Jesus was born. 4,000 years ago, the Egyptians were already talking about gods that were formed or made or born from virgin mothers. They seem to rob Jesus of His birth or maybe water it down Or or force biblical writers to be accused of borrowing an old idea? Well, of course, if you're going to say that Jesus is the Son of God, like every other God, you'd have to make Him born of a virgin. So there's there's no uniqueness here. There's no difference here from Jesus than any other God of antiquity. You're just trying to build credibility. But what I would say to us is if you look at Matthew chapter 1 and maybe even Luke chapter 1 and you see the detailed account in ev- so how many witnesses and I, I I forgive me if this is offensive I do not mean it to be so I, I'm trying to be ex- exaggerated here you know Zeus had lots of children born out of his head just leaping from his head right uh But there were no eyewitnesses because Zeus doesn't exist. There were lots of gods of the Egyptians who had children of virgin birth, but nobody ever saw them. They're just stories written on a page that had existed not only 2,000 years ago, but these stories existed 1,000 years prior to that, just recorded again for us to explain the miraculous, the mysterious But when you have Jesus born of a virgin 2,000 years ago, the whole community came out. People found out about it from around the world and came and gave their declaration. Shepherds out abiding in their field came and gave an eyewitness account. We see this lived out in Jesus' life. This makes Jesus' virgin birth incredibly unique. In fact, I would say it does not take away from the credibility. It adds to it. Because you go back to the very first Parents, Back to Adam and Eve, the very beginning, one of the first things that God told them collectively was one day there's going to be one born of a woman that will crush the serpent's head. So this story doesn't start 2,000 years ago. This story starts on day one. Jesus outdates them all. And Jesus outwitnesses them all. In fact, I would say there was only one other person who heard the curse that day and that was Satan himself. And every time in his demonic horde of offspring that he produces upon the earth to draw attention away from forgiveness and draw attention away from God's miraculous truth, He plants in them this false narrative of a virgin birth hoping to rob from the credibility of Christ. But to me, all it does is add to it. Because he recognizes the power of the virgin birth is the very power that will crush his head. And if he can remove that from our belief, if he can remove that from our doctrines... What would prevent us from questioning every other miracle in Scripture? Oh, don't be too quick to just gloss over the virgin birth. Because in the virgin birth, everything else holds together. It is the resume of the unique Son of God that qualifies Him to even matter. I hear people say, well, we don't want to get tied up on all the things we can't understand. The virgin birth, I and mean, what difference does it make? It makes the resurrection doesn't matter if Jesus is not born of a virgin. That's how much it matters. That's how much it matters. The virgin birth then is an essential, fundamental truth. And if, if you deny the virgin birth, you are not a Christian. Pure and simple. It is clearly taught throughout Scripture. Scripture. We believe the Bible to deny this miracle or to reduce it is to give the opportunity to do that with every other miracle. And the scripture must stand every word. God declared it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Isaiah prophesied it 700 years prior to Jesus' birth. Matthew and Luke explicitly included it in their gospels. And if you listen today to liberal people, I'm not even saying Christians because they don't claim to be Christians, but those who are trying to rewrite history and, and to try to be Bible scholars without knowing who Jesus is, they will say, you have four gospels, only two include the virgin birth. Only 50% of the truth of Christ even includes the virgin birth. Obviously, if it happened at all, it's not important. We hear this all of the time on the li- in liberal media, liberal newspaper, even people who call themselves Bible scholars who work at liberal universities. They talk about the virgin birth, if it even happened at all, does not matter. And they're stripping Christ of the virgin birth. And when you do that, you might as well strip the resurrection too. Because if you can strip the resurrection, then you can strip the second coming. Listen, said, I don't know why Mark didn't write about the virgin birth. I'll ask him when I get there. I'll ask him. sure would make it a lot easier for us if he would have just mentioned the virgin birth. Mark, of all, you have one job. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Mark chapter 6, verse 13. Jesus go out and teaches. And while all these people are coming to Jesus, here's what they say. Here's what Mark said that they got together and they said, Who is this man who is teaching like this? The son of Mary? They don't say the son of Joseph. They say the carpenter, the son of Mary. Well, Mark's writers, Mark's readers, were of such that the son of Mary would not make sense unless Mark believed in the virgin birth. Not the son of Joseph. Joseph. John, why didn't you mention the virgin birth? I did. It's in verse 14 of the very first chapter. The Word became flesh. Became, not was born. The Word is genomai. It's where we get our Word generates. The Word of God, the pre-incarnate Word of God, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, generated Himself in the flesh. He wasn't created. He wasn't born. He materialized as a man and dwelt among us. John did teach the virgin birth. Mark did teach the virgin birth along with Matthew and Mark and everyone else who was qualified to write the testimony of the life, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, and the second coming of the only begotten of the Father, Jesus Christ. He is unique from being born conventionally for sure. And by the way, up until about 150 years ago, there was no debate on the virgin birth. And anyone... Who claimed any form of Christianity, be it in any Christendom, be it Orthodox or Catholic or Protestant or Evangelical? Now, we might not agree on everything surrounding the virgin birth, but that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit has never been debated until about 150 years ago. Every opponent needs to be able to explain it away. Among those who do not claim to be Christians, there have been hotly debated about Jesus. One of the most famous, I guess, infamous explanations, during the first century, there was a pagan believer, or a pagan unbeliever, I guess that's the same thing, Uh, who made it his life's ambition to convince people that Mary had been in a relationship with a Roman soldier. And that's where Jesus came from. Some people have believed he was illegitimate. Uh, here's, Here's my thinking. If I'm going to deny Scripture, I mean, if I'm willing to say, No, I'm just not going to believe that. There's got to be some explanation. Joseph is always going to be my man. I'm always going to say, if he's not virgin born, it's Joseph. That makes sense? Well, I don't need to make up another story. I just need to say, now Joseph's lying too. They're both lying. I've been in ministry a long time. There's a whole lot of that when it comes to births. Why not just blame Joseph? Well, Joseph was ready to divorce her. That's why I wouldn't blame Joseph. He was ready to divorce her. The virgin birth is the resume that qualifies every other miracle, especially the satisfying of the wrath of the Father concerning sin, the forgiveness of sin, and the resurrection, both His resurrection and our resurrection. The virgin birth separates those who believe in a supernatural Christ from those who believe He was just a good man, a moral teacher, a revolutionary, maybe even a prophet, but not the Son of God from heaven. For those who believe Jesus to be a good teacher, a moral man, listen to this. He was born of a virgin. I know a lot of moral people. That is not where they come from. They come from learning from mistakes. They learn from... Come from self-control. They don't come from being born of a virgin. You have to do something with Jesus differently than you do with every other prophet. Virgin-born means something. You can't deny it. You can't discount it. But if you do deny it, then you are free to deny everything else. That's and I, you know we're not talking about the virgin birth now, but you go all the way back to creation. You can see very clearly that this is one of the reasons why we have to stand for creation. And every other, every other little bias that comes in, because we don't understand creation. Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean it's not true. So you start, you start saying, well, maybe evolution here, or maybe long time here, maybe all... before long you'll be, well, maybe Jesus just passed out. Well, maybe Jesus didn't really resurrect. Well, maybe Jesus really isn't coming again. It doesn't take very long to start maybeing yourself all the way out of everything. That's why every word must stand. Every other human whose beginning can be traced to a specific moment in time. We declare that the true life of Jesus had no beginning. No, no, no. He is eternal. His birth is not His beginning. He has existed forever with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He This is an utterly supernatural claim that could not be made about anyone else. So, what do we mean that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary? Well, first, one thing I would want us to understand first is that in all of this, God is the initiator. God could have absolved Himself from Adam, but He did not. He stepped right into Adam's mess and said, I'll fix this. It was God's prophecy. He stepped into Isaiah and He said, it is God's promise to us that a woman, a virgin, Isaiah said, will give birth to our Savior. God initiated that. God initiated came to Mary through Gabriel. But it says that God sent an angel Gabriel to Mary. God sent the angel to Joseph. God is the initiator. Every bit of this is initiated by God, not by us. It is not our desire. It is His desire. What does it say about Him? It says that He loves. It says that He pursues That he will also win, and there is not one thing that he cannot overcome by his initiation. And I think that's really important for us when we start elevating our standing or how much, you know, how, how valuable we are to God or how much God loves us. We need to recognize he's the initiator, these things flow out of his nature, not because of our nature. It's prophesied and it's obvious after the fact, it's clear that there was nobody expecting it, even though it was prophesied. Joseph assumes the worst until angel Gabriel appears. Mary is shocked, mystified by Gabriel's words. The Jews, even when Jesus, they didn't believe Him. They didn't trust Him. Second thing that I think is very important here, Number one, nobody expected the virgin birth. Number two, there was no man involved in the process. Not Joseph. Not a Roman soldier. No man. Number three, Jesus had a human mother, but Jesus had no biological human father. Now we talk, We say, I was taught growing up, that Joseph was Jesus' earthly father, and he had a heavenly father. But... Nowadays, I would even say with the onslaught just recently of the virgin birth, we need to be careful about calling Joseph the father of Jesus at all. We need to be careful. People understand. Joseph is not the biological father. In fact, Joseph, we don't know how much influence Joseph had at all. He's not mentioned much after Jesus was 12 years old. And this one, this this next point is very sticky. So if you're taking notes, be very careful writing this down. It's very important, though. Number one, Jesus is 100% God. He is also 100% man. People say Jesus. I, I hear people talking about you know uh, different different uh, different things about him being half this and half that. Jesus wasn't half anything. Jesus was as much human as He was God and as much God as He was human. He's not a half human. He's not half divine. He is the God-man. One person possessing two natures. God incarnate in human flesh. In fact, Scripture talks about Him putting on flesh like, like you put on a shirt. Putting on a shirt, all it does is veil your humanity. This is what Jesus does. Jesus added humanity. He didn't... So, let me explain it this way. Jesus was omniscient. Jesus. When I say Jesus, I'm talking about the incarnate in flesh Son of God. Jesus was omniscient. You know how many times did Jesus walk up and knowing their hearts, knowing what they were thinking, understanding all things. Jesus was omniscient. But he didn't know when he was returning. He chose not to know it. Right? Jesus was... Well, I guess it was omnipotent. In that he is all-powerful. Right? Jesus is all-powerful. But Jesus prayed to the Father that he would raise Lazarus from the dead. And then he spoke to Lazarus. How often does Jesus pray? Jesus, all-powerful, we find Him praying most of the time. Right? He chose. He chose. Omnipresent. Jesus is everywhere all at once. But when He was veiled in flesh, He chose to limit Himself to one place at a time. but when jesus was on the mount of transfiguration they were able to see him take off his flesh and they saw him bright and radiant and they said whoo never seen jesus like that before you remember in well we'll get there we'll get there in a minute okay so jesus chooses to be ve- to be veiled by his flesh to veil His glory. Because, listen, I, I think Paul teaches us this pretty clearly. If Jesus had not veiled His deity while He was on earth, we would never have seen the Father through Him. We would be glorifying Jesus, but Jesus' primary role on earth was to glorify the Father in heaven. It was to point us to the Father. The Holy Spirit today points us to the Son. The, fa- the Son points us to the Father. If Jesus had to revealed His glory to us and not veiled in His flesh, we would have never seen the Father. We would have, been living, we'd have created shrines. Well, we have already. All over the world, we would have never been able to glorify what Jesus glorified. So Jesus veiled Himself in the flesh so that when you see Him, what? You see the Father. Beautiful. The next important thing about the virgin birth is that he is without sin. Luke chapter 1, verse 35, we read it, calls him the Holy One. The word holy, hagios, it means to be complete, to be whole, to have no missing parts whatsoever, meaning that he will be born without any taint of sin. He has no inherited sin nature. Because He's not born of Joseph. The sin nature is not passed through Eve. The sin nature is passed through Adam. So now Jesus, Paul calls Him the second Adam. One who was born without a sin nature. Nothing in Him that will cause Him to sin. He is holy in the truest and deepest meaning of that term. There is no sin in Him. There is no sin about Him. So here's another way to say all of that. Whomever God uses to redeem us, Number one, he must be a man. He must be our kinsman. This goes back into the Old Testament with Boaz being our kinsman redeemer. He's got to be of the same blood in order to be able to redeem us and buy us back from slavery, sin slavery. No angel could die for us. He is uniquely qualified. And in order to meet the last qualification, he must truly share our humanity. Number two, He must be infinite. Meaning this, a man could die for his own sin as payment, but he could not die for the sin of all mankind. We need God Himself to satisfy the wrath of God. You can't do it. You can't even pay for your own. It's too late. When you were born with a sin nature, you are immediately disqualified to pay any price You may pay some consequences. You cannot pay any price for any sin. Even even the ones you're sorry for. Number three, he must be innocent. You know, there was a time in my life when I recognized that I was a sinner. By the time I recognize it, it is too late to do anything about the ones I've already committed. So a sinner cannot die for the sins of others. He must be innocent He must be infinite, and He must be a man. With a virgin birth, guarantees all three requirements. So, moving quickly, what does that look like for Mary to conceive by the Holy Spirit and then give birth? How could God, who is without limits, shrink Himself somehow to be a microscopic speck inside of Mary? Well, here's my answer. I don't know. How did He say, let there be light? That's what qualifies it as a miracle. You can't explain it. Don't try to figure it out through science because these answers don't belong to science. And by the way, I have a scientific mind. I love science. But science cannot answer miracles. I do not understand why we feel like we have to explain miracles away using science. Miracles, by nature, works around those things. God is not bound by our natural scientific laws. He circumvents them sometimes to accomplish His purpose. We have a word for them. Miracles. We don't have to explain them away. We don't know. So that's my answer to that. The virginal conception of Jesus was a direct, creative miracle of God. And we can't understand it. Only God, though. Can create life. Now, if you go all the way back to Genesis and you see the Son of God, Colossians 1 tells us that, the Son of God creating Adam out of the dust of the earth. Well, now dust is already created, the dirt is already there, right? Well, how much harder is it for him to take that and just place it inside something he already created? Well, it's pretty simple. I don't understand it. But if I'm willing to believe this one, this one's easy to believe. If I believe creation, I wasn't there and you weren't either. But if I believe in creation and I believe that we had an origin and I believe that we are divinely created and I believe the promises and the prophecies of that creation, well, believing in the virgin birth is just another thing that I'm going to have to, a mental hurdle, I've got to say, I believe it because it says it. It's pretty simple. Now, there in the Old Testament, there are lots of accounts where God opened the wombs of barren women. Many, I won't even go into all of them, but but women who had gotten up into years and God opened their wombs. Now that's difficult, but that's not impossible. When God told Mary, "You're going to give birth," she said, "What now? I've not even I've not been with a man." She doesn't she doesn't say that she's a virgin, although we know that she is. She goes one step, in my mind, one step further in that I've never been... I know how that happens. I've never been with a man. So you move from difficult... You know, God's supernatural births, God doing the work, that's difficult. That's not miraculous. So He says to her, Hey, by the way, your aunt, cousin, Elizabeth, she, she's pregnant too. Well, she's ancient, Well, I know, but I opened her womb and she's pregnant. Well, that's difficult, but she and my cousin Zachariah have been married a long time. It's difficult, it's not impossible. Virgin birth, impossible. It is impossible. Scientific, it's impossible naturally, it's impossible. That's why it's required, because it can't be duplicated. I don't care what kind of cloning that you use. I don't care what... You cannot... We cannot create anything that's not already created. But God can because He's the Creator. So Luke chapter 1 verse 35 kind of gives us a hint when the angel says that the power of the Most High will overshadow Mary. That same verb was used in the Greek translation of Exodus chapter 40, verse 35. It's a very important passage of Scripture. It says that Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, that's the tabernacle, because the cloud had settled upon it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's the same Greek word as the angel uses for Mary, that the holy, the Spirit of the Most High will overshadow you. It's also found in... Psalm chapter 91, verse 4, when it says that God will cover you with his feathers and under his wings you will find refuge. Cover. These images give us some idea of what God is telling Mary here. God overshadowed Mary with his personal, intimate presence that completely surrounded her, just as the clouds surrounded and covered and filled the tabernacle. And this was completely and utterly non-sexual encounter. God created life out of dirt, and now He creates flesh for Himself to dwell in, allowing Himself to be the kinsman redeemer. He says, I must be one to save one. This overshadowing protected her from all harm now listen, I want to, just because we're here, I'm going to say this, she was a virgin before her conception and after her conception. Now Catholics teach and if we're not careful, we'll get hung up on some of this teach the Immaculate Conception, where, whereas we would believe in the Immaculate Conception initially with Christ, they maintain Immaculate Conception perpetually. That she continued to be a virgin. Every time she had children, she was a virgin before and after because immaculate conception belonged to Mary. It makes Mary this almost supernatural force. Not true. Jesus had many brothers and sisters younger than him. Not only was Jesus born without a human father, but he was born to a virgin, but Mary's virginity was not perpetual. She was blessed. She was blessed. She was highly favored. But she was just someone that God used to deliver His unique Son into the world. And only God could have done this. Now, through the virgin birth, God became a man without ceasing to be God. And while He grew and He waited for the perfect time, He obscured His deity. In John chapter 17, verse 5. Turn over there, in fact. Let's go ahead and use John chapter 17, verse 5. I want you to listen to Jesus' words. Jesus said, And now, Father, glorify me in Your own presence. With the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is simply asking here to be able to manifest His deity before the Father. They could share in that glory just before the cross. Just like they had done from eternity past together. Well, the virgin birth is nice, but it really doesn't matter. That's what we hear a lot. It doesn't really matter. Boy, that would be a huge mistake. I'm going to close by telling you again why the virgin birth was so necessary. Number one, the virgin birth protects the deity of Jesus Christ. If Jesus had been born of a human father, Jesus would have inherited the curse of Adam's sin. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, through one man... Sin entered into the world and death through sin. And so death spread to all men. Absolutely right. But the virgin birth protects Christ's deity. He could not have been God if He had been born of Joseph. And if He is not God, then He is not a moral man. He is the greatest deceiver and liar of all time. And everyone who followed him and declared to have believed in his life and his message and in his resurrection, too, died for the greatest lie of all mankind knowingly dying for a lie. Number two, the virgin birth preserves his humanity. Gods and myths are born from other gods, but here we have God being born of a young peasant girl. God had to become flesh and dwell among us. He couldn't just appear on the screen. Jesus couldn't just... Where did that guy come from? Who knows where he'd come from? Because he had to have been born... If, all the time we want God to just appear. Why didn't God just appear? Why did, God, why did Jesus have to live 30 years up to His first miracle? Why, did he, why couldn't He just have stepped onto the scene? Because we had to know for sure... That He was not born with a sin nature. So that we could know for sure that He was qualified to love us and to forgive us and to rescue us from our own humanity. That's why there is salvation in no other. You're not saved by good works. You're not saved by good morals. You're not saved by getting, getting it right finally. You're not saved from enlightenment or by enlightenment. You're not saved by being a better version of yesterday. You can only be saved if you trust in the virgin birth and uniqueness of our kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. It's just the only way to satisfy the wrath of the Father for our sin. If Jesus had escaped the birth process, then we could not have a high priest who understands us. According to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The fact that Jesus was born just like us and lived the same kind of existence that we do means that He understands everything that we're going through. And yet... Without a sin nature, there is no sin that abides with Him which gives Him the opportunity to advocate for us before the Father. He understands us. Number three, this is new. The virgin birth problems, solves a major, major problem. In Second Samuel... Chapter 7, verse 16. God makes a promise to King David. This is the promise. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is where God declares that Jesus, the to-be Messiah, we don't know His name yet, but that he will be a descendant of David. And it will qualify him to be the king on David's throne. It's incredibly important. You go to Matthew chapter 1 and you will be able to trace for those who trust in Joseph's genealogy. Even though he's not biological, he is still in the written record as Jesus' earthly father. He has his direct line. That's why Joseph, the scripture is so clear that Joseph has to go back to Bethlehem because that's where his family come from because he is a descendant of King David. You go back to Luke chapter 3, which is Mary's genealogy goes right through King David. So whether you look at Jesus, or you look at Mary's side, or you look at Joseph's side, King Jesus is the only one there qualified to be the king from both. But there is a significant problem that arises. Significant problem. Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 30. It's kind of hidden there. But there was a man in Matthew chapter 1 verse 11. In Joseph's genealogy, there's a man there named Jeconiah. So evil that God placed a curse on him. Here's the curse. I'm going to read it. Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 30. No man of his descendants will prosper... Sitting on the throne of David, you hear that you can sit there. You will not prosper if you're a descendant of Jeconiah. No man of his descendants will prosper sitting on the throne of David or ruling again in Judah. Whoo! Jeconiah's descendants are cursed with a curse, and from then on, there is no prospering for the kings, the descendants of David, in the kings of Israel. That's a major problem. Well, isn't it a good thing that Joseph has a son, but he's not born of Joseph? He breaks the curse. Jesus is uniquely qualified to be in Joseph's lineage without Joseph's nature. Jesus is the curse breaker. He was Joseph's legal son. He inherited the right to rule as a descendant of David. He fulfilled every promise, every prophecy, and only God could come up with an idea like a virgin birth to get around His own curse. In fact, what Jesus was doing was creating a hurdle for Jesus to jump, which makes it more difficult for someone to qualify. And yet Jesus wins the race. Number four, the virgin birth does fulfill prophecy. 700 years earlier... God had said it through the prophet Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with a child and bear a son, and you will call His name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Now listen, this is incredibly important. I'm going to pull everything to a close here. In order to satisfy the wrath of sin that is stored above our heads, God had to be born a man to qualify as our kinsman redeemer. And so, He inherited the body of Mary. And He was born and conceived by the Holy Spirit, implanted in her, and was born a man. this overshadowing, this covering, this protection, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit gave birth to the Spirit of Christ. Which is not unlike what we experience when we give ourselves to the Son of God in complete surrender. He covers us. He surrounds us. He places Himself in us. And in a non-exaggerated way, we become an extension of the Son of God. And He is born in us every day as we live out the Christ life. We become extensions of His life and of His ministry and of His bold proclamations. But if He is not born in us, and we don't experience the second birth ourselves, we make His first coming null and void. So I want to remind you this morning, while Mary was overshadowed and covered with the Son of God, just like the glory of God filled the temple, the glory of God, do you not know that you are the temple of God? He lives in you. His Spirit lives in you. And while we are shrouded right now, inside of us already, we do not know what we will be. But one day when we are with Him, whatever He is, we will be like Him. Let's pray together. Lord, we love You and we thank You. We're reminded today that it matters. So I pray this morning that You would just... Overshadow us, Lord. Fill us with your presence. We thank you that we all can experience a recreation. While we are born with a sin nature, we now have a spiritual nature. And I pray, Lord, as we wrestle between our flesh and the Spirit, I pray that we would be able to confess boldly who You are. And as we are reminded who You are, we can be reminded of the power that lies within us, not that comes from ourself, it is initiated directly from You. Not of us, lest we would boast. So, Lord, as you are the initiator, what you have begun, you will complete. So I pray that you would draw men and women into yourself today. Lord, where there is sin in us, may we recognize that we have a sin nature. Not just we commit sin. If we're better than we were yesterday, we might have a pretty good opinion of ourselves. But help us to realize, Lord, that we have a sin nature that must be remedied by the one without sin. So I pray, Lord, that you would break our hearts. I pray that you would lead us to repentance. Grant us repentance that we might declare and manifest the Christ's life while we have opportunities in this world as witnesses, bold witnesses to the nations of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.